Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Rafa Benitez is the cover star on the latest issue of 442 magazine, talking about Mike Ashley, Mourinho, and the miracle of Istanbul. Now, he's currently managing Dalian Yafin out in China, although he still has a family home in Merseyside, where our very own Chris Flanagan caught up with him for the interview. Will he end up back in the Premier League soon? I'm Connor Pope, and I get Chris's reflections on that interview, as well as discussing the kind of clubs Rafa might end up with. We'll also look at Graffa's greatest achievement, the Champions League victory, with This Is Anfield's Matt Ladson. So Chris, you met uh, Rafa over in the Wirral in northwest England, despite the fact he obviously lives in China now. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, so, well, I mean, basically his family home's still, still in the Wirral. We'd obviously been talking um, to them about, about speaking, you know, arranging an interview with him for a while. And um, you know, we they they got in contact. Say, well, he's he's in the world um, this week because basically China's season's a little bit weird in that they have they don't actually play that many matches in the in the league matches during the season, uh, and they have like three week breaks quite pretty often actually. Um, so he, he tends to come home and because uh, his, his his family is still still in the world from obviously from from when he when he moved over here to manage Liverpool originally, and they've always stayed there even even when he when he was at Newcastle. The family was still in the world, um, so yeah. When, when when China have a break in the season, like I say, it's usually two or three weeks. Then he, he gets a chance to come home and, and and see people. So yeah, it was just uh, kind of we were, we were alerted that he he was back and happy to happy to do the interview. Um, so yeah, it seemed. Uh, you know, we went up there and, and met him at uh, kind of a, a local restaurant up there. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's uh, <laughs> unusual to be quite quite so far away from his place place of work when you interview him. Was but no, it was it's nice to see. You know, obviously that's the place where he, you know, he's, he's spent a long time. Now he feels very at home in that area. It's obviously a nice a nice area. He's you know he's pointing like uh, basically up up the hill was where his his daughter went to school. And even like when when she was at school, he got asked to coach coach the local team for a. You know, for a, a game or two while he was, you know, while he was between jobs a while back. So he kind of, um, he was saying about how he'd, he'd gone along and, and done a bit of training and then coached a match and that one of the opposition parents would be like, all oh, right, OK, <laughs> this is what we're up against today. So <laughs> professional coach and not even a professional, not, not, not just a professional coach, a Champions League winning coach. So, so yeah, he, he, I think he feels a great attachment to that area now, definitely. And did you get the sense from him that... Uh... He was in a in a good place. Did he seem cheerful? Because obviously he didn't leave Newcastle in the best kind of circumstances. 
Oh well, you know, I mean, when when I when I met him, he, he was very cheerful. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I, I hadn't met him before. I wasn't sure whether he, you know, sometimes you get the impression that he's a little bit distant when he does interviews and stuff. But no, he wasn't. He wasn't like that at all. He, he came in. He was really friendly from the start, and yeah, he was, he, you know, he, he was he was in a great mood. I think he was, you know, I think he's enjoying life at the moment. And yeah, he was he was very very friendly, and he was really, you know, really interesting to speak to. So can we chat a little bit about? Um his influence when he first came over to England. Uh, he was part of, uh, well, it was him and Jose Mourinho, really, who came over in the mid-2000s, and they were both very technical managers. And do you think that they really changed the way that perhaps the Premier League saw a manager's role in, in that kind of time period? Potentially so. I mean, they, they, they obviously both took over their clubs, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea, that, that, that same summer in 2004. After you know, uh, Rafa had won the Europa, uh, well, the UEFA Cup as it was then with Valencia, Mourinho had just won the obviously the Champions League with Porto, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think what what they what they both stood out for, you know, particularly Rafa is is tactically just so so good, and to be honest, uh, you know, well, Liverpool couldn't could not have won the Champions League without someone so tactically astute that season. I mean, you know, I think they they, they certainly were, were nowhere near winning the league, the Premier League that year. Um, if you look at the squad they had then, okay, I had people like Alonso and Gerard, but beyond that, there wasn't there wasn't loads of amazing players in that team. It was it was just a very well organised team, um, and it, you know, obviously a huge achievement to to win the Champions League that year. And it it was basically because Rafa was and is and you know a, a very very tactically you know a tactically astute guy and probably you know probably still to this day one of the one of the best tacticians in the world. I think it's fair to say. So he's gone over to China this summer. Um, what made him take that move? It seems really unusual for a top manager to do something like that. Obviously, we, we've started seeing it happen with top footballers over recent years, although particularly at the ends of their career. Do you get the sense that this is Benitez having a kind of final payday before he retires? Um, no, I don't. I don't, to be honest. I, I don't get that sense at all with this. I think it's a it's a different situation with Rafa. Um, I mean, I think it, it seems that basically he's been getting offers from China for a while. Um, this this certainly wasn't the first time that interest had been there. So he was always aware that there was that option there. I think it's, it, it's a, a set of circumstances has led him has led to him going there at this point. Obviously, the Newcastle situation and the circumstances in which he left there in that. He, I think, had had Newcastle shown more ambition to him, he would have stayed in Newcastle. Um, he he wanted to take that club further forward, you know, up the league. And once he realised that one, he wasn't going to have the budget to do that, and two, there was just no, yeah, there's just no sign of great progress there. So he's basically he, he had a choice of either do I stay here treading water and and just trying to achieve what I've achieved for the last two years. Um, in the Premier League, just you know, trying to keep them mid-table, or do I go somewhere else? And then once once he decided that he needed to go somewhere else, I mean, he, he spoke in the interview basically that, that basically a lot of options, you know, well there weren't a lot of options at, at this moment given what jobs were available and stuff. I, I think he would have he would have been willing to stay in England. Obviously, the top six jobs weren't weren't around at this moment in time. Even the you know the 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 jobs just below that, your Leicesters and your Everton's and such like, weren't weren't around at that at that moment. Um, 
other other European options didn't didn't quite fit what he wanted at that moment. I think he he basically felt that well he spelled out during the interview either he wanted to be winning trophies or competing to win trophies at, you know at the top of a league or he wanted to be at a club where he felt there was some sort of direction some sort of growth that he could and, and once he didn't feel that was possible at Newcastle he looked around and thought well okay well, Chinese league you know he acknowledged it isn't the strongest in the world and everyone knows that but at least he could see they had an ambition at, at Dalian Yifang, the club he's gone to, that they wanted to build something. So he, he, he saw it as a project. It may not have been his absolutely number one first choice project had all the options been open. But he saw it as, well, OK, I, I, can, I, can, I can grow this club. I can put um, everything in place behind the scenes there. So, you know, he can, you know how, no matter how long he stays in China, he can leave a legacy at that club through introducing a European way of working uh, and, and transforming that club for the long term. So he felt that even if this wasn't necessarily the 100% ideal uh, choice, that there was there was things he could do there. And, and there's no doubt that, it, you know, speaking to him, he, he was very passionate about the job he was doing doing in China. Um, you know, he, he was, you know, he, he wanted to kind of, he, he, he brought his phone out and showing me all these places he travelled to in China. So he's obviously, you know, in, enjoying just seeing a new part of the world. But also he spoke, he spoke very passionately and, and he could sense his determination about the club he's at. It, it wasn't just a case of, oh, I'm, I'm at a club in China, I don't really care, I'm just taking the money. That's, that's, not, that's not the impression I got from him at all. If, if Rafa Benitez takes a job, he gives everything to that job and gives it his absolute best. And I get, I get the sense that he's, he's throwing himself into that job and, and trying to make the best of it. So it sounds like that, that you could see him coming back to Europe at some point. Um, shall we discuss what kind, of, what kind of places, what kind of jobs he might take? I mean, the fact that he did jobs at um, Napoli and Newcastle is quite interesting because neither of them, when he took over, were particularly challenging for trophies. But they are historically quite big clubs, obviously very big fan bases, quite fanatical fan bases. So that does kind of give us maybe a glimpse of the type of job that he might take we spoke about because i mean I, I said to him do, do, do you feel like you deserve another crack at a top six job at some point um and i think he i think he does feel that um but he, he was honest enough to admit well obviously chelsea's not going to happen for obvious reasons given you know how things happened last last time with that with the fans man united is obviously he, he felt you know it's just not going to happen because of because of the liverpool rivalry Man City and Liverpool obviously aren't going to change, so I guess that leaves Arsenal. Um, now we spoke, and he, he kind of said, "Well, you know, obviously the, the you know the, the, there's a vacancy there a couple of years back. Well, they, they went for Emery, so you know, then it's you know it's no longer available." I, I still think that he, he should have got that Arsenal job. Now, whether it, you know, obviously he was, he was in a job at Newcastle at the time, so it's not that straightforward. But I think if if you ask me, who would have, who would have been better suited to doing that job? at the time, Rafa Benitez or Unai Emery, I think it had been Rafa Benitez. Because I think the, the key the key with with Arsenal and well one of the one of the things I think gets often overlooked with Wenger's success at Arsenal is that it was the combination of his attacking talent, his 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 way of making attacking players play freely and, and, and express themselves. But also they still had the George Graham defensive base there. And once those George Graham players retired, that's when Arsenal started to have the problems defensively. Uh, whereas I think if you brought someone like Rafa in, he'd immediately bring you in on the tactical side of it, the defensive side of it, and you've still hopefully got some expressive attacking play. So I think he would have been perfect for Arsenal at that time. And I think Jamie Carragher said the same thing at the time. So I still think 
at some point in the future, he, he'd be perfect for that job. Um, I dare say, you know, give it, you know, in the, in the right circumstances at the right time, he'd probably be interested in that job. Um, and you know, there, there are other clubs around that. Like I said, obviously Leicester at the moment aren't aren't going to be moving Brendan Rodgers on anytime soon, given how, how great he's doing. Um, but you know, a club like Everton, not impossible, I wouldn't say. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a slight thing there with Liverpool and Everton. Um, but you know, he live. He, he he's obviously location-wise, it'd be perfect for him. Uh, I, you know, he certainly didn't say anything specifically about Everton, but I would not rule that out. At, you know, at some point in the future, I'm not saying right now, but at some point in the future. That is interesting. And shall we just kind of quickly broaden our scope out a little bit? Are there any other kind of European clubs you can imagine? I mean, obviously Real Madrid might come up soon, but I can't see him going back there. Bayern seems to have happened a bit too soon for him to be in the frame for that. So I guess PSG maybe at some point, but although I can't really see that being a good fit. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, it all very much depends on circumstances really with these things. I mean, obviously, you know, someone like PSG, I'm sure will have a lot of options, but he could could well be one of them. I mean, you could see that at some point if Simeone ever left Atletico Madrid, that well, I mean, I suppose it's the Real Madrid thing there. But in terms of this, the, the the style of play at least would be suited to him. But maybe maybe the rivalry with, with Atletico and Real there would be tricky. But I'm sure there are plenty of other clubs, you know, that 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 could be options for him. It's basically it all depends on timing. But like I say. You know, I got, I got the impression he's, he's very much committed to what he's doing at the moment. You know, he's, he's, I didn't get the impression that, you know, he, 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 like I say, he, he was very passionate about what he's doing at the moment. But yeah, at the same time, he, he was pretty clear that at some point he will come back to Europe. At some point he'd like to come back to England and it's just a case of when, I think. We look forward to that. Chris, thank you very much. No problem. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Matt, why do Liverpool fans love Rafa Benitez so much? It seems to be a connection that, although this sounds slightly trite, it seems to be a connection that runs a lot deeper than simply winning a Champions League. Yeah, it's definitely because of winning the Champions League, but much, much more than that. Um, I think the important thing is that Rafa was a person who understood the fabric of the club, but also the city and its people. Um, a little bit like Gerard Houllier did, having Houllier had him, having worked in the city previously. Um, so Rafa was somebody who really embraced the community aspects of the club um, and, and the understanding of the supporters and the demands of the club, um, the demands of the supporters and the desire to get Liverpool back as 
um, one of Europe's elite teams. Um, and so related to the current manager, Jürgen Klopp, again, he's a manager who understands that fabric and how important the football club is to the city and to its supporters. And does the fact that he still lives in Merseyside kind of strengthen that connection over time, do you think? Yeah, possibly. I mean, obviously it shows that the connection that he had to the area was legitimate and real because obviously we get a lot of managers that sort of talk up um, areas and the club that they're at and then they bounce into the next one. A cough, Jose Mourinho. Um, but, you know, Rafa and his wife um, and his and his children who, you know, he says they he can't understand them half the time because they speak so scouse. Um, and his wife was absolutely um, in tears the day that he left the club at the local um, golf club. Um, you know, she's got real friends and a real bond there. And, you know, it's a nice area that he lives in on the Wirral. Um, you can see why he likes it there with his dogs and a lovely family home. And it's it's a credit to him and maybe to Liverpool and its people that, you know, he's chosen that as his long-term home because, hey, you know, it's a nice place to be and he's got good people around him. So the interview we have with him in the magazine took place, in fact, on the Wirral in the Merseyside. Um, he talks there, obviously, about Istanbul, that incredible night in 2005. What I thought was really interesting was that he talks about half-time and he talks both about having to choose his words so carefully to motivate the players and the tactical tweaks that he needed to make. I always personally think of him as a tactician over a motivator, but what do you think really stands out as what might have changed the game during the second half from your recollection? I mean, it's a difficult one because when you're 3-0 down, it's almost as though the tactical element is less important because you've actually got to motivate players to believe that there's still something there to play for. So obviously, Rafa is primarily a tactician and we've seen that throughout his time as a manager. But you've got to motivate players to not only go out there and believe that there's still something to play for, but that they might even be able to get back into the game, which is not a not an easy one to, to buy into as any footballer. Um, you know, Jurgen Klopp has spoken regularly about how sometimes he doesn't have the right words and he's three, four years down the line at being in England, whereas Rafa at the time had not even been in England for a year. So you can imagine that it was very difficult for him to get the right words. And maybe the key to it all was the sort of mentality in the group that had been fostered from previous games like the Olympiacos game where they had to get those three goals in the second half and they actually got them so it's sort of maybe drawing on those experiences that have led them to that Um, and some players had even spoken about four years previously in the UEFA Cup final and the run toward that 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 all sort of helped create the environment that there was a little bit of belief there Um, obviously an early goal Stevie's reaction to that goal and it sort of just created a sort of uh, like a tumble uh, a snowball effect and eventually you know where they got got what was needed and what do you think went wrong uh, for Benitez at Liverpool in the end um political sort of situation with the owners um 100% I would say was the major reason for it going wrong um you know I remember writing at the time in the sort of yeah uh things weren't going right with Rafa but he was like a mild cold compared to the sort of uh 
more infectious disease of Tom Hicks and George Gillette and what they'd put upon the club. And what was interesting was that Rafa was onto them very early on in what was going wrong, even after the uh, the Champions League final in 2007. He was already making sort of hints that they needed to actually deliver on these promises that turned out to be false promises. Um, you know, and like I've written in the magazine there, if Rafa had been working under owners as as sort of efficient as Fenway Sports Group, things might have turned out very differently for him and for Liverpool because it was a shame that it was all ultimately brought down by off-field problems. But, you know, Liverpool weren't good in Rafa's final season, but I think that he lost, um, he took his eye off the ball slightly in terms of the bigger picture. Um, and the bigger picture was that we needed to change the owners. Um, once that happened, things gradually got better. But sadly, one of their last things that they did was put somebody in control of giving Rafa the sack. Were you sad to see him go in the end or did it feel like probably the right time? Uh, a little bit of both because things went right at the football club. But ultimately, yeah, it was more of a sadness because we'd all seen how things might have played out. You know, it was it was only just over a year after Rafa at the time had led Liverpool to second place just behind Man United, 86 points, which was um, a record points total for the club at the time in the Premier League. You know, so we we could all see that had things just slightly gone differently, um, it could have been very, very different. And Rafa was a person who, like we've discussed, understood the club, understood what the fans needed and had the temperament to probably deliver that. Um, the worry was then who was the new owners going to bring in. And obviously they brought in a man who was the complete opposite of Rafa and didn't understand the club, didn't understand the supporters and didn't understand uh, the fabric of Liverpool as a city. Then a couple of years later, he goes to Chelsea, obviously for not very long, but how did you feel to watch him there in the dugout? I think the overriding thing was how Chelsea fans reacted to it. It was just incredulous. Like, you know, there they had a manager who delivered the European trophy for them. Um, you know, by and large, he was pretty successful in his time at Chelsea, but yet he was absolutely derided by its own fan base. Um, for me personally, I, I thought fair play to Rafa. He needs, you know, a high quality job, but nobody wants to see him there. And after Torres had gone there as well, it was just very strange seeing Torres and Rafa both at Chelsea and, you know, their, their best times was at Anfield. And do you think he deserves another big Premier League job at some point? I mean, his track record speaks for itself. Yeah, of course he does. He deserves it. I mean, I find it really, really strange that he hasn't. Um, I think that Arsenal, you know, they're absolutely crazy not for having gone for him over Emery. Um, yeah, it's a strange one, Marafa, because a lot of a lot of fans who aren't from uh, Liverpool supporters seem to not quite understand how good he is as a manager. Um, Newcastle fans understand that now, having had it. And it, and it's interesting that every club that he's been at, the fans really, really appreciate him. Um, but for some reason, he gets a little bit of a, a difficult time in the media. And I think that that carries over to fans of other clubs. But, you know, maybe we'll see him back in the Premier League soon. There's talk of um, a certain London side that might be interested in him, not Arsenal. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting. Obviously, they're... West Ham we're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're not a top six club, but um, 
maybe potentially he'll get a, another another crack at it. I feel that it might have passed him by now, but we'll see. He definitely could do a very, very good job wherever he's at. Matt, thank you very much. Thanks to Chris and Matt for joining us today. The new issue of the magazine, A Manager's Special, is available now in shops and from the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe to the magazine for as little as £9.50 every three months. You'll find a link to that in the episode's show notes too. Please do give us a generous rating on iTunes if you enjoy this podcast. It only takes a second. And thank you very much for listening to the 442 podcast. The music you've heard is by Howl Griff, who you can also find on iTunes and Spotify. 